welcome back, Kirkwood, to the next episode of the KPL Podcast, and this is going to be a special one. This is going to be a special one because it's Summer Reading 2020, and Jagishi and I are both super excited about all the uh, segments we have in store for you today. Absolutely. We're going to be talking about a new service we're providing called Remote IT. We're going to be talking about how to sign up for Summer Reading and the prizes this year, the most important part. Of course, some really wonderful prizes for summer reading. And lastly, we're going to talk to you about books and movies that we're looking forward to coming up this summer. Yes, super excited about so many fantastic titles. But not only that, with summer reading being this year, being Imagine Your Story in Mind, we have some extra special things on this podcast as well. We will have your secret code for one of the summer reading challenges. It's all ahead of us. So stay tuned, Kirkwood. Throughout the podcast, we are going to narrate a story for you, The Million Dollar Bond Robbery by Agatha Christie. So here's the first part. What a number of bond robberies there have been lately, I observed one morning, laying aside the newspaper. Perot, let us forsake the science of detection and take to crime instead. You are on the, how do you say it? Get rich, quick tack, eh, mon ami? Well, look at this last coup. The million dollars worth of Liberty Bonds, which the London and Scottish Bank were sending to New York, and which disappeared in such a remarkable manner on board the Olympia. If it were not for the mal de mar, and the difficulty of practicing the so excellent method of la vergue, for a longer time than the few hours of crossing the channel, I should delight to voyage myself on one of those big liners, murmured Perrault dreamingly. Yes, indeed, I said enthusiastically. Some of them must be perfect palaces. The swimming baths, the lounges, the restaurants, the palm courts. Really, it must be hard to believe that one is on the sea. Me? I always know when I am on the sea, said Perrault sadly. And all those bagatelles that you enumerate, they say nothing to me. But, my friend, consider for a moment the geniuses that travel, as it were, incognito. On board these floating palaces, as you so justly call them, one would meet the elite, the haute noblesse of the criminal world. I laughed. So that's the way your enthusiasm runs. You'd like to cross swords with the man who sneaked the Liberty Bonds? The landlady interrupts us. A young lady as wants to see you, Mr. Perrault. Here's her card. The card bore the inscription, Miss Esme Farquhar. And Perrault, after diving under the table to retrieve a stray crumb, nodded to the landlady to admit her. In another minute, one of the most charming girls I have ever seen was ushered into the room. She was, perhaps, about five and twenty, with big brown eyes and a perfect figure. She was well-dressed and perfectly composed in manner. Sit down, I beg of you, mademoiselle. This is my friend, Captain Hastings, who aids me in my little problems. I'm afraid it is a big problem. I have brought you today, Mr. Perrault, said the girl, giving me a pleasant bow as she seated herself. I dare say you have read about it in the papers. I am referring to the theft of Liberty Bonds on the Olympia. 
Some astonishment must have shown itself in Poirot's face, for she continued quickly. You are doubtless asking yourself what I have to do with a grave institution like the London and Scottish Bank. In one sense, nothing. In another sense, everything. You see, Monsieur Perrault, I am engaged to Mr. Philip Ridgway. Aha. Uh -huh. And Mr. Philip Ridgway? Was in charge of the bonds when they were stolen. Of course, no actual blame can attach to him. It was not his fault in any way. Nevertheless, he is half distraught over the matter, and his uncle, I know, insists that he must carelessly have mentioned having them in his possession. It is a terrible setback in his career. Who is his uncle? Mr. Vavasour, Joint General Manager of the London and Scottish Bank. Suppose, Miss Facois, that you recount to me the whole story. Very well. As you know, the bank wished to extend their credits in America, and for this purpose decided to send over a million dollars in Liberty Bonds. Mr. Vavasour selected his nephew, who had occupied a position of trust in the bank for many years, and was very conversant with all the details of the bank's dealings in New York, to make the trip. The Olympia sailed from Liverpool on the 23rd, and the bonds were handed over to Philip on the morning of that day, by Mr. Vavasour and Mr. Shaw, the two joint general managers of London and Scottish. They were counted, enclosed in a package, and sealed in his presence, and then he locked the package at once in his portmanteau. A portmanteau with an ordinary lock? No, Mr. Shaw insisted on a special lock being fitted to it by Mistress Hubbs and Philip. As I say, place the package at the bottom of the trunk, it was stolen just a few hours before reaching New York. A rigorous search of the whole ship was made, but without result. The bonds seemed literally to vanish into thin air. Perrault made a grimace. But they did not vanish, absolutely, since I gather they were sold in small parcels within half an hour of docking of the Volympia. Well, undoubtedly, the next thing is for me to see Mr. Ridgway. I was about to suggest that you should lunch with me at the Cheshire Cheese, Philip will be there. He is meeting me, but does not yet know that I have been consulting you on his behalf. That was the first part of the Million Dollar Bond Robbery. Imagine your story is Summer Readings 2020 theme, and it starts May 16th and runs to August 31st. And let me tell you, Kirkwood, we have a fantastic amount of prizes and challenges ready for you to take advantage of. But first, you got to sign up for summer reading, as we all know. So head to KirkwoodPublicLibrary.org. On the very first page, you'll find a link to your summer reading page. Uh, there's also one to the side on the left. That'll take you there. You sign up, log in, log pages read, and check out prizes and challenges. There are so many I could spend all day talking about them, but I'm just going to highlight a couple of things that should make you excited. So enter Adult Summer Reading for a chance to win a Kindle Fire tablet. Or perhaps an Amazon Echo Dot. Don't forget about the kids. There's a lot of great stuff there, too. Personally, I'm excited about the Dungeon Mayhem game. It looks like a fun card game. But unfortunately, I'm too old to, uh, to uh, try to win. But there's also a Milan Lego set that looks exciting. Or perhaps win Librarian for a Day. It is. Well, we know from experience. Pretty fun gig, let me tell you. 
<laughs> Make sure you sign up, take a look at all the challenges and all the virtual events and all the things that we're doing this year for summer reading. Get on there and sign up. Can't wait to see you. It is now time for part two of the Million Dollar Bond Robbery. Philip Ridgway was a pleasant-faced man of 30-odd, with just a touch of graying hair at his temples. His face looked drawn and haggard. The theft of the bonds which had been placed in his charge had almost demoralized him, and he reproached himself vainly for not having exercised greater care. Over the excellent steak and kidney pudding of the establishment, he confirmed his fiancée's story in every particular. Perrault then proceeded to question him. What led you to discover that the bonds had been stolen, Monsieur Ridgway? The man laughed rather bitterly. The thing stared me in the face, Monsieur Perrault. I couldn't have missed it. My cabin trunk was half out from under the bunk and all scratched and cut about, where they tried to force the lock. But I understood that it had been opened with a key. That's so. They tried to force it but couldn't, and in the end they got it unlocked somehow. Curious, said Perrault, his eyes beginning to flicker with the green light that I knew so well. Very curious. They waste much time trying to prise it open. And then, sapriste, they find they have the key all the time, for each of the Monsieur's hub's locks is unique. They couldn't have had the key. It never left me day or night. You are sure of that? I can swear to it. And besides, if they had the key or a duplicate, why should they waste time trying to force an obviously unforceable lock? Ah, there is exactly the question we are asking ourselves. You see, the solution, if we ever find it, will hinge on that curious fact. I beg of you not to assault me if I ask you one more question. Are you perfectly certain you did not leave the trunk unlocked? Philip Ridgway merely looked at him and Perrault gesticulated apologetically. Ah, but these things can happen, I assure you, very well. The bonds were stolen from the trunk. What did the thief do with them, and how did he manage to get ashore with them? Ah, cried Ridgway, and that's just it, how? Word was passed to customs authorities, and every soul that left the ship was gone over with a tooth comb. And the bonds, I gather, made a bulky package. Certainly they did. They could hardly have been hidden on board. And anyway, we know they weren't, because they were offered for scale within half an hour of the Olympia's arrival, long before I got the cables going and the numbers sent out. One broker swears he bought some of them even before the Olympia got in. But you can't send bonds by wireless. Not by wireless. But did any tug come alongside? Only the official ones, and that was after the alarm was given, when everyone was on lookout. I was watching out myself for their being passed over to someone that way. My God, Perot, this thing will drive me mad. People are beginning to stay. I stole them myself. But you also were searched on landing, were you not? Asked Perot gently. Yes. The young man stared at him in a puzzled manner. You did not catch my meaning, I see, said Perrault, smiling enigmatically. Now I should like to make a few inquiries at the bank. Ridgway produced a card and scribbled a few words on it. Send this in, and my uncle will see you at once. Perrault thanked him, 
bade farewell to Mrs. Farquhar, and together we set out to Threadneedle Street and the head office of the London and Scottish Bank. That was part two of the Million Dollar Bond Robbery. Hello, Kirkwood. I wanted to talk to you about a new service that the library is offering currently while we're in lockdown. It's called Remote IT. Well, as you know, we used to provide, when our library doors were open, services like Grab a Geek. <laughs> Two months ago, services like Grab a Geek and Drop in IT. Since we can't provide those services to you right now, we are offering something remote. So, what you'll have to do is go to our website, KirkwoodPublicLibrary.org, and click on Remote IT. Now, there's a form there. Uh, that you fill out and you pick a time and date. There's specific times and dates that you can pick depending on the day of the week. You pick those and then we'll set up a Google Meet uh, meeting. So we try to help you with your computer tech questions remotely. This is a good time to take advantage of it, especially if you have some issues that, you know, one of us uh, tech people can help you with. Let's continue with part three of the Million Dollar Bond Robbery. On production of Ridgeway's card, we were led through a labyrinth of counters and desks, skirting paying in clerks and paying out clerks, and up to a small office on the first floor, where the joint general manager received us. They were two grave gentlemen who had grown gray in the service of the bank. Mr. Vavasor had a short white beard, and Mr. Sean was clean-shaven. I understand you are strictly a private inquiry agent said Mr. Vavasor. Quite so, quite so, we have, of course, placed ourselves in the hands of Scotland Yard. Inspector McNeil has charge of the case, a very able officer, I believe. I am sure of it, said Perrault politely. You will permit a few questions on your nephew's behalf about this lock. Who ordered it from Mr. Hubbs? I ordered it myself, said Mr. Shaw. I would not trust any clerk in the matter, and as to the keys, Mr. Ridgway has one, and the other two are held by my colleague and myself. And no clerk has had access to them? Mr. Shaw turned inquiringly to Mr. Vavasor. I think I am correct in saying they have remained in the safe where we placed them on the 23rd, said Mr. Vavasor, and then added, my colleague was unfortunately taken ill a fortnight ago, in fact on that very day that Philip left us. He has only just recovered. Severe bronchitis is no joke of a man of my age, said Mr. Shaw ruefully, but I'm afraid Mr. Vavasor has suffered from the hard work entailed by my absence, especially with this unexpected worry coming up on top of everything. Perrault asked a few more questions. I judged that he was endeavoring to gauge the exact amount of intimacy between the uncle and nephew. Mr. Vavasor's answers were brief and punctilious. His nephew was a trusted official of the bank and had no debts or money difficulties that he knew of. He had been entrusted with similar missions in the past. Finally, we were politely bowed out. I am disappointed, said Perrault as we emerged onto the street. You hope to discover more? They are such stodgy old men. It is not their stodginess which disappoints me, mon ami. I do not expect to find in a bank manager a keen financier with an eagle glance, as your favorite works of fiction put it. No, I am disappointed in the case. It is too easy. Easy? Yes, do you not find it childishly simple? You know who stole the bonds? I do. But then... 
we must... Why? Do not confuse and fluster yourself, Hastings. We are not going to do anything at present. But why? What are you waiting for? For Olympia. She is due on her return trip from New York on Tuesday. But if you know who stole the bonds, why wait? He might escape. To a South Sea island where there is no extradition? No, mon ami. He would find life very uncongenial there. And as to why I wait? Eh bien, to the intelligence of Hercule Perrault, the case is perfectly clear. But for the benefit of others, not so greatly gifted by the good God, the Inspector McNeil, for instance, it would be as well to make a few inquiries to establish the facts. One must have consideration for those less gifted than oneself. Good Lord, Perrault, do you know I'd give a considerable sum of money to see you make a thorough ass of yourself just for once. You're so confoundedly conceited. Do not enrage yourselves, Hastings. In verity, I observe that there are times when you almost detest me. Alas, I suffer the penalties of greatness. The little man puffed out his chest and sighed so comically that I was forced to laugh. Tuesday saw us speeding to Liverpool in a first-class carriage of the L and NWR. Perrault had obstinately refused to enlighten me as to his suspicions or certainties. He contented himself with expressing surprise that I, too, was not equally afia with the situation. I disdained to argue and entrenched my curiosity behind a rampart of pretended indifference. Once arrived at the quay, alongside which lay the big transatlantic liner, Perrault became brisk and alert. Our proceedings consisted of interviewing four successive stewardesses and inquiring after a friend of Perrault's who had crossed to New York on the 23rd. An elderly gentleman wearing glasses, a great invalid, hardly moved out of his cabin. The description appeared to tally with one Mr. Vintnor, who had occupied cabin C-24, which was next to Philip Ridgeway. Although unable to see how Perrault had deduced Mr. Vintnor's existence and personal appearance, I was keenly excited. Tell me, I cried, was this gentleman one of the first to land when you got to New York? The steward shook his head. No, indeed, sir. He was the last off the boat. I retired crestfallen and observed Perrault grinning at me. He thanked the steward. A note changed hands and we took our departure. It's all very well, I remarked heatedly. But that last answer must have dampened your precious theory. Grin all you please. As usual, you see nothing, Hastings. That last answer is, on the contrary, the coping stone of my theory. I flung up my hands in despair. I give it up. That was the end of part three of the Million Dollar Bond Robbery. All right, Kirkwood, it's our favorite time in the podcast. We are going to be talking to you about what we are looking forward to reading coming this summer. Yes, a little different than what we ordinarily do. It won't be so much reviews, just so much of what we're excited that will be coming out soon that we plan on logging our own pages for our own summer reading. So, Jagisha, what are you looking forward to? Well, the first one on my list has to do with dragons. Of course, i got to talk about dragons. Well, we all do. Super important subject, dragons. Right. So, the title of the book is The Winds of Winter. 
It's by a certain G.R.R. Martin. I've heard of him. I believe he's an important fellow. Something about an HBO series, maybe? (laughs) Exactly. So this is book number six, The Winds of Winter is book number six in the series, The Song of Fire and Ice, which is what the HBO series Game of Thrones was based on. So this book is supposed to be the last book in the series, from what I understand, and it has a different ending than the one that was in the show. So we'll see how it goes. So do we know if it's the definitive end to the Game of Thrones series? That's what I understood from an article that I read. I don't know for sure. I think it said that the ending was going to be different than what it was in the HBO. That's essentially what they said. Well, I look forward to reading it. I do too. There have been so many fans waiting for this book. They've gotten so impatient with the author, but he took his time with this series. I mean, he started the first book, what, maybe 20 years ago? It's It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, and they've, uh, all the ones I've read have been fairly masterful. Uh, they've been just great fantasy. They have. Some of the best fantasy out there. Anyway, it's your turn. What is on your list? I'm going to recommend a title that's just a bit outside of what I ordinarily recommend. One of the books that's coming out on June 30th that I'm most excited about is called Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Sounds like it's going to be a gothic horror. It is the story of Noemi, who is a you know young socialite and received a letter from her cousin uh, begging for help. She, her cousin is a newlywed living out in the Mexican countryside in a house called The High Place. Uh, she journeys out there, and uh, a lot of the book blurbs kind of makes it up to be, you know, a classic gothic tale of suspense. It's a moody adventurer, both spooky and smart. Why, what I'm excited about, uh, the author's book last year was a book called The Gods of Jade and Shadow, which was extremely good. It was about kind of a fantasy about Mexican folklore, and it was one of the better books I've read in uh, 2019. So I'm pretty excited about this one, and ordinarily it probably wouldn't have made my list, but on the strength of the, her previous work alone, I'm pretty excited to read this one. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. It sounds like a ghost story, and I don't generally read ghost stories, mostly because I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> so. well, see, I read the ghost stories, but this sounds like it has more of a romance element to it as well. Ooh, okay, so you're expanding your horizons there. Exactly. And the cover is fairly gorgeous. Got a, it's got a painted, painted cover, and I think it's one of the better, better-looking book jackets I've seen in a while. Okay, sounds good. How about yourself? What's next on your list? Well, the next one is something you might also be familiar with. It involves a girl with a crossbow. Oh, bossy! <laughs> I don't think she had a crossbow, did she? Sometimes she had a lot. Of oh no, not a crossbow. I'm sorry. It, this next one involves a, a girl with a bow and arrow. I bet that's. That's right. You got it. So this next book, the title is The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and it is the prequel to The Hunger Games. Oh, the package game, perhaps. (laughs) Well, it's actually interesting because The Hunger Games were set, and it was the 74th Hunger Games that Katniss took part in, in the first book. This one is actually set at the 10th Hunger Games. I said, assuming that they're annual, that's sometime before. Yeah, so it's about 60, 64, what is it, 64 years before? <laughs> I'm stuttering over the math. It's like t- 74 minus 10. 64 years earlier, it is about Dictator Snow, or 
Coralinius Snow. I'm, I'm totally probably butchering that first name, but the guy who played the guy who was Donald Sutherland. Okay. In the movie, it is him, and he's 18 years old. He is a mentor to a tribute from District 12. So, yeah, so I think it's going to be interesting because I think Katniss was also District 12, if I remember correctly. She was the last district. I'm afraid I don't know. My favorite archer was Kate Bishop. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, so in the Hunger Games, you seem to have some type of sort of affection, connection, something to Katniss. So it seems like maybe that's because he was at one point a mentor. And his survival is, according to the synopsis in the book, I haven't read the book because it's, actually it's going to be coming out in a few days. It comes out May 19th. Well, interesting. And it sounds good. I mean, there is always, especially in fantasy, such good storytelling when you tell like the origins of a villain and what, where they might have started, you know, with, with good intentions and they slowly develop into something more insidious. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what this sounds like, because his intention is to survive, and in order for him to survive, his tribute has to survive. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Probably going to have to go purchase the book, because I don't think I'll be able to wait if it's not there on Overdrive. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what's your book, or what's your next book? My next book is a nonfiction. There is a book that's coming out also on June 30th called Action Park. Fast Times, Wild Rides, and the Untold Story of America's Most Dangerous Amusement Park. Uh, it is, a, basically, it's a book about uh, the story of Action Park, which was a uh, kind of a DIY Disneyland that was that existed in New Jersey during the 80s. Wait, uh, hold on, hold on. Before you continue, DIY? So what does that mean? I mean, I know it means do it yourself, but... but well, basically, the, the owner of the park wanted to make it the next Disneyland, essentially. Yeah, uh, this, this park had a kind of a notorious history. It was uh, dangerously, it was it was unsafe. Uh, it had gotten the nicknames like a class action park, attraction park. It was kind of like just a giant spectacle. And it, you know, it harkens back to a strange time in this country's history. And it sounds like an incredibly interesting story. That the, the, the life and death of this strange park in New Jersey. Huh. That is is interesting, especially because, I mean, I hate to say it, but our society is very litigious. So the fact that there's a park like this. (laughs) I I can't imagine that it wasn't brought into court often, but I will have to let you know once I read the book. Now, do you know if the park is still open? Oh, no, it's long since gone. Oh, okay. Yeah, in the the 90s, I'm pretty sure, though. It lasted longer than I would have expected. Okay, we may have to do another podcast talking about these books that we now, after we've read them. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Odds are we'll, it'll, they will end up recommendations of some kind. Yes, that's true. All right, so how about yourself? What else are you excited about reading? I just realized that all the books that I'm excited about are all fantasy books. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my third book is called Peace Talk, which is Dresden Files, book number 16 by Jim Butcher familiar with that series. Harry Dresden is quite a popular fellow. He is. I really enjoyed the graphic novels that we have at the library. So, and of course I've enjoyed these books too. And I enjoyed even the one season TV series that was on. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that TV series too. I felt that it was packed fairly swiftly. I thought they had a lot of talent behind it and it was just kind of fun escapism. 
It was. And I think the fans really wanted them to continue, but it's too bad that they changed their minds. But it's amazing how, how much of a life that character has beyond just, you know, Jim Butcher's novels. I mean, it did have a TV show. If it does have a graphic novel series, and I think they're still publishing those comics. And I even saw recently in one of the um, video game shops that they just released a uh, like a, like a, a digital card game where you can play your favorite Dresden characters and you know deck builds and things like that. So it's pretty interesting. I agree, and I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, it's good. Supposedly, he also has number seventeen coming up, but that might not be till 2021. So I've gotten different reports based on what uh, website I was reading. Fairly prolific sci-fi fantasy series. It is. And, of course, Jim Butcher is here, is in Missouri. He's from Missouri. Yes. Yeah, I, I believe still lives here. That's I right. But, yeah, he is a local author. That's right. And, Jim Butcher, if you're listening to this podcast, we would love to have you on as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> that we would. Or if anyone knows him. <laughs> there you go. I've got a lot of hairy dreads questions. Yes, we do. <laughs> anyway, it's your turn now. Last book, I guess. Last book. Um, well, this one I don't have a date for release it because it is coming out in the summer, but it's coming out to UK markets. I would assume that the American releases will be shortly behind it. I mean, if not, I can still easily get a copy. It's the 42nd anniversary of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is a book that I recommend a lot. For those of you who are big Douglas Adams fans, you would know that the 42nd, or the number 42, is vitally important. And, and this this anniversary edition will be fantastic. It has a, it has a new preface from Russell T. Davies. Also, science fiction fans will recognize him as the showrunner of Doctor Who when it came back uh, to television, uh, primarily during one of its most popular times under uh, David Tennant's run as the... Uh, titular doctor but it's you know it's a fantastic book and the 42nd anniversary is the perfect time to reacquaint yourself with the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah it sounds it i mean i read the first book such a long time ago i was very young when i read that <laughs> well if you're going to read any of douglas adams books the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is the best one to go there are four or five of them and they're all good they just all I would say steadily get a little bit worse. Yes, I agree with Ryan. Read the first one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a classic. So, Kirkwood, those were books that we're looking forward to. Do you have any that you're looking forward to? Please leave us a comment. And don't forget, once you get the book and read them, log those pages at kirkwoodpubliclibrary.org in the on-do summer reading site. Get some prizes, Kirkwood. Also, since you've made it this far, here's your reward for the KPL Podcast Challenge for Summer Reading. The secret word is imagine. That's imagine, as in imagine your story. And now for the dramatic conclusion of the Million Dollar Bond Robbery by Agatha Christie. Once more, we were in a train, speeding towards London this time. Perot wrote busily for a few minutes and then sealed up the result in an envelope. This is for the good Inspector McNeil. We will leave it at Scotland Yard in passing, and then to the Rendezvous Restaurant, where I have asked Miss Esme Farquhar to do us the honor of dining with us. What about Ridgeway? What about him? Asked Perrault, with a twinkle. 
Why, you surely don't think... Well, you can't. The habit of incoherence is growing upon you, Hastings. As a matter of fact, I did think, if Ridgeway had been the thief, which was perfectly possible, the case would have been charming. A piece of neat, methodical work. Not so charming for Miss Farquhar. Possibly you are right. Therefore, all is for the best. Now, Hastings, let us review the case. The sealed package is removed from the trunk and vanishes, as Miss Farquhar puts it, into thin air. We will dismiss the thin air theory, which is not practicable at the present stage of science, and consider what is likely to have become of it. Everyone asserts the incredibility of its being smuggled ashore. Yes, but we know. You may know, Hastings. I do not. I take the view that, since it seemed incredible, it was incredible. Two possibilities remain. It was hidden on board, also rather difficult, or it was thrown overboard. With a cork on it, you mean? Without a cork. I stared. But if the bonds were thrown overboard, they could not have been sold in New York. I admire your logical mind, Hastings. The bonds were sold in New York. Therefore, they were not thrown overboard. You see where that leads us. Where we were when we started. Jamais de la vie. If the package was thrown overboard and the bonds were sold in New York, the package could not have contained the bonds. Is there any evidence that the package did contain the bonds? Mr. Ridgway never opened it from the time it was placed in his hands in London. Yes, but then... Perrault waved an impatient hand. Permit me to continue. The last moment that the bonds were seen as bonds is in the office of the London and Scottish Bank on the morning of the 23rd. They appear in New York half an hour after the Olympia gets in, and according to one man whom nobody listens to, actually before she gets in. Supposing, then, that they have never been on the Olympia at all, is there any other way they could get to New York? Yes! The gigantic leaves from Southampton on the same day as the Olympia starts from Liverpool, and the former holds the record of the Atlantic, mailed by the gigantic. The bonds would have been in New York the day before the Olympia arrived. All is clear. The case begins to explain itself. The sealed package is only a dummy. It would have been an easy matter for any of the three men present to prepare a duplicate package, which could be substituted for the genuine one. Trebian? The bonds are mailed to a confederate in New York, with instructions to sell as soon as the Olympia is in. But someone must travel on the Olympia to engineer the supposed moment of the robbery. But why? Because if Mr. Ridgway merely opens the packet and finds it a dummy, suspicion flies at once to London. No, the man on board in the cabin door next door does his work, pretends to force the lock in an obvious manner, so as to draw immediate attention to the theft, really unlocks a trunk with a duplicate key, throws the package overboard, and waits until the last to leave the boat. Naturally, he wears glasses to conceal his eyes and is an invalid, since he does not want to run the risk of meeting Mr. Ridgway. He steps ashore in New York and returns by the first boat available. But, but who? Which was he? The man who had a duplicate key. The man who ordered the lock. The man who has not been severely ill with bronchitis at his home in the country. Ethan, that stodgy old man, Mr. Shaw. There are criminals in high places sometimes, my friend. Ah, here we are. Mademoiselle, I have succeeded. You permit? 
and beaming Perot kissed the astonished girl lightly on either cheek. That was The Million Dollar Bond Robbery by Agatha Christie.